Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Uh, why don't we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. And I'd like to start today with what I'm going to call a nerd alert. Uh, I don't know how many of you are like me, but I love tests. And, and I really, really, really mean that. Uh, I love the challenge of getting ready for tests, especially finals. I, I love the feeling of taking the test and doing really well on the test, which kind of gives you nerd, more nerd stuff. And I also like the, the sense of relief that you get when you've actually finished the test. Is, is anyone else with me or does anyone want to admit, not admit to that? Right? Don't you? Okay. Uh, nothing like being lonely to start the message out with. Uh, let's switch to Ephesians 4 and talk about community standing with your brothers. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> However, even though I really love school and tests there, there are some tests that I don't enjoy simply because I fail them constantly and they always seem to come up. And if you can probably guess, I'm talking about spiritual tests that God brings into our lives. I am constantly tested in areas of like finances or patience or just trusting God with my family as a whole. And it seems every time a test comes up in that area, I know it's a test, but I'll either panic or I'll freak out or I'll do something that really reveals, in a sense, that I don't really fully trust God. And today what I want to talk about is in a sense of God asking us, do you trust me? And I don't know if you have the picture in mind. I don't know if you've ever seen Aladdin where Aladdin reaches out from the magic carpet and he goes to Jasmine and he says, do you trust me? And that's kind of, I mean, I'm not saying that God is standing on a magic carpet and he's like Aladdin kind of thing. So don't take that too far. But, I, but I, the question that he asks us is, do you trust me? And we're going to look at Abraham today, and this is a big test for him. I would say the biggest that he has ever faced, and even possibly his final exam. And we're going to see, hopefully, at the end of this, that obedience is more than just action, but it also deals with trust. So, what can we learn about Abraham at 112 years of age? The first thing, and I hope I get this right, because I think I'm supposed to be doing this. First thing, verse 1, let's read it together. Genesis 22, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. The first thing that I want us to see is that after all of these years, Abraham was still being tested. So at 112 years of age, after all the tests that he has been through, things like pick up everything and go to this strange land that I'm not going to tell you where you're even going, dealing with famines and relationships and then fighting a little bit of a war, all these things ultimately have been tests where God is saying, Abraham, do you trust me? And Abraham has trusted God up to this point. But now we get to a place where we see this is, quite possibly again, the final exam. 
Now, the test isn't for God to see whether or not Abraham's faith is real or to be proven true. That's what the testing here is, to prove whether or not his faith is real. But for Abraham to see, do you truly trust me? In a sense, it's kind of weird. And I don't know if this is really going to be the complete illustration of this. But um, with my kids, every once in a while, when they're telling me something of what's going on in school and someone does something that's kind of shady, like let's say somebody's cheating on a test, I'll say, yeah, why not? It's a pretty good idea to cheat on a test just as long as you don't get caught. Because I'm testing my kids because I want them to go, no, cheating is wrong. But if they go, oh, no, no, I know what you mean, Dad. Just as long as we don't get caught, it's cool. And they go, ha, I got you. That's kind of a test. I want to see what is in their heart. It's kind of like at Friday uh, at the office, Benson, I was proctoring his uh, Greek exam, and uh, he, he can't look at the exam before him, but I kept showing it to him from a distance, mind you. And I wanted to see what he was, what he was going to do, if he was going to look at it really quick or not. But he kept doing this. He kept, kept walking away from me. But I wanted to see what was in his heart. It's a test. So he had a test within the test, a double test. Of course, he's probably not happy that I did that to him, but it's still the whole sense of what's going on here after all these years of following after God, Abraham faces this huge, huge test. And I think in looking at Abraham, one of the hardest things for us is to submit to God in the midst of these tests. And what's even harder is that these tests never really stop. You know, some of you, like me, do struggle in some of the areas that I struggle in and maybe in other areas that you struggle with. And it never seems that God ever lets up, but he keeps coming back and back and back and wanting to see if we really trust him. Are we willing to take the next step in our walk with him? And we can't take that next step until we get past some of these steps. So what we have here is a a simple lesson. You are never too old to stop getting tested. And I want to encourage you, you know, some of us may live till our 80s unless Christ comes back or some terrorist nuclear war wipes out Chicago kind of thing. But you will consistently be tested for the rest of your life. It never ends. Now, let's learn a few things about Abraham's test. Oh, yes. It's a little test sheet back there. Scantron. Of course, they didn't have Scantrons back in Abraham's time, but this is for the background. All right. First thing about his test. It made absolutely no sense. Let's read verse 2. It says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Now think about this. As Pastor Dave was talking about, for 25 years, Abraham has waited for this son of promise. And now maybe Isaac is about 12 or 13 years old. My Daniel just turned 13 uh, last Sunday to kind of get a flavor for this. And uh, God now says, well, I I think you need to sacrifice him. I know you waited 25 years. I know that you've enjoyed his presence for 12 years. But now is the time that, uh, you know what, why don't you take Isaac on a camping trip and uh, go to this mountain. And I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, imagine for yourselves that you finally reach the pinnacle of where you want to be in your career or your ministry or your life. So maybe you've grown up and you said, I've always wanted to be a doctor. I've, I've always wanted to be a head cardiologist or something like that somewhere. And you finally get into that position 
And then after you've been there for a year and you're really enjoying this thing that fits right into your life and God says, uh, I want you to give it all up now and go into ministry. Did you kind of get the flavor of what's going on here? Here is, is Abraham with the son of promise that he's received and now he's being asked to give him up and that makes absolutely no sense. I would wonder whether or not Abraham said, that is a little bit strange. A little split personality-ish. Now, I'm not trying to offend God in any way, but as a human being, that would be something that I would be thinking. What is going on here? You make this huge promise. You make me wait for so long. I make a big mistake in the middle of this. Now I'm enjoying my son. You know, I mean, as I quickly think about this, I'm going to get into trouble for this, but, you know, when kids are one or two years old, it's a lot more work. It's enjoyable when you get to cuddle them, but changing diapers and having to pay attention to them isn't as much fun as when they get to be 12 or 13 years old. So Abraham is like, this is really cool. We get to play catch together, although I don't know if you really said that because I don't know if they played catch back then, but we get to do all these things together, and now you're taking him away from me. His test made no sense. Here's the second thing. It involved a loved one. Let's read the verse again. It says, Take your son, watch the emphasis. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. In other words, he's getting to a place where he's saying, Abraham, you really love this kid. He's your son. Your only son. He is a prized possession. And not only a possession, like he's a possession, or he's a great treasure. There's something about him that you're just so invested in him. And, and, and what happens here is the sense of God going for Abraham's heart. Now, I don't know why this final exam, as we would call it, has come along. Maybe God has realized or has seen that Abraham's heart has shifted from God to Isaac. But here we have this test that makes no sense about a loved one. Now, as you, uh, everyone, our kids grow up in the church, as a parent, I want to tell you that kids are just fantastic. Not always, mind you. Sometimes they, you know, get annoying and you yell at them and you want to pinch them, not spank them, because spanking is wrong, but pinching is a little bit different. But that's another story. It's a James Dobson thing, which, by the way, he retired. And this is a rabbit trail. So, <clears throat> I want you to understand your love grows for your kids. I mean, when they come out as a baby, you're like, wow, this is the greatest thing. And you just love your kids. But as they get older, believe it or not, you love them more. Uh, my oldest daughter, I'm always telling her now, you are my treasure because I'm just growing in how much I love her. When I pick up my boys from school, you know, whether they're by themselves or they're standing together, and I sit there and sometimes I just blurt out and I say, God, I love that kid. Or when I see my little daughter and you go down to Sunday school and she's like, oh, dad's here, that kind of, that kind of stuff really gives me a sense of what Abraham is going through. He loves Isaac. It's not like he can just say, hey, dude, take him. I got another 11 afterwards. But this is his one and only son, the son of promise, the heir to the future that he deeply loves. And so Abraham's test is a test that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it is a test that involves someone who's dear to him because when God tests us, he goes for the jugular. In other words, he doesn't goof around. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If someone else has a health issue in our church, that affects me. 
But if I had that same health issue, it would affect me more. So God isn't saying, hey, let's deal with Ishmael and get rid of him. But he's saying, you're one and only son Isaac. Let's look at him. And so when God tests us, and he does constantly, as we've already learned, it's because he wants to deal with heart issues. Not because he is against us, but he wants us to see our heart and get to a place where we can actually say, yes, I trust you. Now, let's look at Abraham. Abraham, let's read verse 3. It reads this way. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut through enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him. The first thing that I want us to see in this is that he wasted absolutely no time. So I don't know when God appeared to him, but I'm imagining maybe when he's about to fall asleep or sometime after dinner when he's reflecting on life, maybe sitting on a tree somewhere and just kind of looking out and seeing how great this is. God is good. Life is good. Watching Isaac play. And God speaks to him. Now, I know in my instance, I might think, wow, did I really hear that? Well, maybe I should pray about it and uh, take a couple weeks or a couple months or maybe a couple years before I actually carry this out. Because to me, I, I really didn't hear. But Abraham is absolutely different. He wastes no time. God speaks to him and very early the next morning, he moves. Now, I don't know about you, but I would imagine most, if not all of us here, have had an instance in our life where God has spoken to us very clearly but instead of moving as fast as possible, we hesitate, we delay. And probably because we really don't trust God. In some ways, we don't trust ourselves. But we're not willing to say, I will act because you have spoken. But when we look at Abraham, he wasted no time. Early the next morning, he gets up, which leads us to the second thing. He expended a lot of effort. Now, as we read this, what we're going to see here, <clears throat> verse 3 again. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw that place in the distance. So what I want you to see here is when God says, Hey, Abraham, you're going to Mount Moriah. Abraham already knows that this is going to be a three-day journey. So he has a specific place this time. It's almost like if I said uh, to my family, hey, we're going on vacation and we're going to drive to California and it's going to take us three days. We'll be out there for a while and then we're going to drive back for three days. And as we do that, we would have to pack up a lot of things to be in a car for three days. That's what's going on here with Abraham. Not only is he not wasting time, but he gets up early and he gets all of these things. He packs the food, he packs the bags, he packs the wood. He gets everything ready, so he expends a lot of effort. Because God is calling him to sacrifice. God is calling him to obedience. And Abraham isn't goofing around, but he responds immediately. And he puts a lot of effort into it because this is what God is calling him to do. And again, I have to confess, sometimes when God calls me to do something, that I will put a little effort into it, I will struggle and go, oh, maybe God doesn't want me to do that and I'll walk on my own way. But that is not Abraham. Abraham acts quickly and he expends a lot of effort. But let's read on. What else does he do? He trusts God. 
I know it's the same picture. I know that you guys are just seeing the words move, but it's okay. You're thinking like this is one of those 1930 classics or something. Something about the 1900s. Maybe I'm born in the wrong age. Anyway, verse 5. Reads this way. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. See, Abraham trusted God. So if you can picture the scene, Abraham and Isaac and um, these two servants are standing around the donkey, not the donkey from Shrek, but they're standing around this donkey. And uh, Abraham says, hey, uh, Isaac and I, we're going to go off. It's going to be, you know, like an hour or so journey and we'll come back. He didn't say, I will come back. But he says, I, I'm sorry, uh, we will come back. The two of us, we will return. And as they're walking along, um, Isaac, obviously an, an astute young man, says, Hey, Dad, uh, you know, we have uh, the wood. We have everything that we need for the burnt offering. But uh, what's up, Pops? Where's the lamb? And he says, no, no, don't worry about it. God will provide. See, what's going on here is Abraham is trusting that God will actually provide. He's, in a sense, saying, this God I trust. He's asking me to do something that makes no sense whatsoever to my son whom I deeply love. I have responded as quickly as possible. I've expanded a lot of effort. And in all of this, I trust that God will provide. Now, I really honestly don't know in which way that Abraham provides. But when we look at Hebrews 11 later on, we're going to see that even if there is no lamb, God know, or Abraham knows that God could very well bring Isaac back to life. So he is full of trust. He is absolutely, positively trusting God with one of his greatest treasures in life and saying, I will trust God in each part of this. Let's move on. He did what was asked of him. Let's look at these verses that follow then. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord said to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Now, I think this is very interesting because sometimes if you've ever talked to somebody, what we hear is, listen, you don't really have to sacrifice your Isaac. You just have to be willing to do so. Because Abraham really didn't do it. He was just willing. I don't think that's the truth at all. I think in his mind and in his heart, Abraham had already made the sacrifice. I wish I could go backwards, but I'm afraid to do so because I'm going to mess it up in the PowerPoint. But if you remember, um, oh, hey, somebody else can do it for me. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, if you remember Heath's um, knife thing in the beginning, the drawing that he made, there's the sense that this knife is in the air and it is about to come down and plunge into Isaac, probably his heart, when the angel says, Abraham. Abraham, not just Abraham, you know, like when your parents are mad at you, they don't just say, hey, John Henry, come here. They go, John Henry, John Henry. None of you are John Henry, but that's a Sarah Connor Chronicles thingy for you. But Abraham, Abraham, in other words, you're about to do this thing. Wow. You have, there you go. You have passed the test. Isn't this beautiful? PowerPoint is really cool. I'm really like freaking out. You're all like, what is he freaking out about? We do this all the time. 
but he has passed the test. God has said, I can see your heart, and now you can see your heart, that you truly love God more than anything. And this is not talking about a willingness to give up things. If God comes up to us and says, give this up, he means it. Now, maybe at the end, like we see here, oh, Camilla, oh, no, that's too far. Oh. He did what was asked of him. And I think I made a mistake in here somewhere, but there's a, the story in the bottom line has a happy ending. But I'd like to be honest with you today because I think when God asks us to sacrifice things, there's not always a happy ending. And what I mean by that is Abraham never loses Isaac. But some of us, when God asks us to sacrifice things, we lose the very things that we came for. You see, God can be trusted because what happens is uh, Abraham finds a ram in a bush. Not this kind of ram. Oh, where'd the other ram go? Not that kind of ram. But this kind of ram. Okay, really good. Okay, so that means I messed up the PowerPoint slides. Um, which, of course, what else could you expect from someone doing this the first time? But there is a ram. God provides. See, all along, Abraham was saying what? We will go worship. We will come back. God will provide this lamb for us. Everything is going to work out. I trust God. And God provides so that Abraham then walks away here in the final verses that we're going to look at. He says this. Verses 12. <clears throat> do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up in a thicket and he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham trusted God. And I don't want to say God came through or God was faithful just because he did this. But God is faithful. And in all of that, the recognition that Abraham or the thing that Abraham teaches us is that God can be trusted with everything, even our most treasured, I'll say, that's just like treasures, because treasure can be a person or, or a thing. But our greatest treasures, God can be trusted with them. God probably cares about them more than we do. I could almost say, well, I shouldn't say that. I can say with a fact that God cares for my children more than I do. So I can trust him with them. Things aren't going to always go the way that I would like to, but God can be trusted. Now, the thing that I have here is this. What's up with Isaac. I mean, when you read this story, don't you kind of wonder what's up with Isaac? Um, Abraham's 112. I'm guessing that Isaac is about 12. Uh, if I said to my son Daniel, hey, hey uh, come here, uh, son, uh, I've got this knife here, and I'm going to put you on the wood, and I'm going to tie you up, and then I'm probably going to kill you. But don't worry, God will raise you from the dead. Do you think he's going to go on a camping trip with me? No. No way. So my, my sense is that not only does Abraham trust God, but so does Isaac. And we'll talk about this a little bit later on when we tie Isaac into Jesus, but I really see that Isaac is a living sacrifice. Because there's no way this old guy is going to catch this youngster running around the top of Mount Moriah saying, come here, boy, come here, boy. Candy is not going to work. You know what I mean? So there is something 
and, and, and this is what I, and I throw this out to parents. There is something in Abraham that Isaac has seen so that even at a young age, Isaac says, I will trust God. If you're going to do it, and I have seen in my limited time that God has truly provided, I will trust you, Dad. Because I know that you trust God. And I've seen that God can be trusted. And that's kind of a hard message for us as parents because we want to know that one day when we send our kids off to college, that they're going to say, you know what? I have seen Jesus through my parents. I have seen there's value and worth in that. And they too will follow in our footsteps as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, all I've done in the first 20 minutes or so here is kind of give you a sense of what the passage is. Uh, the good news is not only do I save money on my car insurance, but we will not go for another 20 minutes. It'll be another 30. All right. Here's the big idea. <clears throat> and I know right now some of you are going that the obedience should be inside the circle. I know some of you more anal people are probably thinking that. But again, this is me trying to do PowerPoint, and I fell short, so forgive me. Here's the big idea that I want you to walk out today with just one thing. Just one thing. If you forget everything else, that's okay. Just remember this line. Obedience is more than just action, but it is also about trust. Not just action, but trust. Because think about this. We really can do a lot of actions, but do them without faith. That's not necessarily obedience. And when God calls us to do the big things, he doesn't want us to just do the act to say, yeah, you know, God's called me to do the act, so I'm going to do the act, yada, 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 whatever. But really to say, God, I don't want to just do this, but I want to willingly and cheerfully do this because I know that you can be trusted. That's really the heart of obedience, trust. The heart of obedience is trust. So when I tell my kids, keep or save yourself for marriage, my hope is that they will, trusting that even though their friends are saying, dude, you do not know what you're missing out on. This is a great time. This is good stuff. That they will know after having seen all the lives destroyed like I have because people are messing around before they get married, that they will realize that I can be trusted because I've seen that God can be trusted in this area. And it comes from their hearts that they really want to wait. So obedience is a lot about trust. Now, the bad response that you can walk away with is this. Ah, oh, dang. i got to obey more. Mind you, I'm not saying, please don't be obedient. I'm not saying don't obey at all. What I'm saying is don't leave here with the thought of, I must obey God in these four things and I'm just going to do it. That is why I have no obedience in that kind of sort of circle like it should be. is because I want us to see uh, Abraham does not teach us just obey God more and that's the end of the story. Yes, obey God, but underneath or underlying in all of that is the sense of trust. God, I will listen, not because you can crush me like a bug, but because I love you and I trust you and even know that you love me more than I love you. That really is the heart of what Abraham is trying to teach us. He's not just saying, hey, you know what? I've done this for 112 years. It always works out on the end. I'm just going to do it. It's not that easy because think about it. You're sacrificing one of your greatest treasures. It is not easy. It is not easy to obey God. How many of you can stand up here and say, uh, one of the easiest things I find to do, like eating ice cream, is obeying God? Right? It is not easy. 
And the reason is not easy because many times, number one, obviously, is because sin is good, right? I mean, if it wasn't good, we wouldn't do it. But another reason is because we just don't trust God. Boy, I'm not, I, you, God, you, you tell me these things and it's going to do this and it's going to do that. And you know, I'm not really sure it's going to work out that way because, you know, I'm looking at my neighbor and, man, they are having a lot of fun. They are going on vacations. He just bought a new boat. He just redid his house. And look at me. I'm still living in this 1960s kind of house. Can I really trust you to provide? And that, again, is, is what Abraham is teaching us. I have invested 37 years of my life to see this son grow up, prosper, and take everything that I have and know God. And now God says, shh, take it away. Sacrifice it. Yes, Abraham was obedient. Yes, I would encourage you to continue to obey God even if you do not feel like it. But when you do not feel like it, get to that place where you get alone with God and begin to ask Him to say, warm my heart to trust you. To know that if you're asking me to give up something like a career that you have or a relationship that you have, as painful as it is, God can be trusted to provide. Not necessarily a new career where you make new, uh, more money or a new relationship with a person is more easier to get along, but his greatest provision now is himself. And so we need to trust that all the things that we think are so great really aren't so great because God has called us to something bigger and something higher. Obedience is not about action only. It's also about trust. What's the right response? No, that's not me. Because of my... I'm getting a little big here. But anyway, okay, nobody laughed except for one person. appreciate that. Which means the rest of you are either going like, yes, it is you, brother, or you're being kind to me. Here's the response. Yes. You know like when people go, yes. Like sometimes when I see my kids and they do something right, I just go right on there. And, and they understand. Yes, good job. That was fantastic. I really appreciate it. This is what we need to say to God. Yes, you can be trusted. I will say yes because I know that you can be trusted. Now, the thing about Abraham is this act of obedience does not happen in a vacuum. On a regular basis, Abraham has continued to obey God because he trusts them. This, I want to say, is the culmination of it all. So it's not just like one day he was disobedient and God said, hey, you got to give this up. And Abraham said, whoa, final exam, I am ready. Like some of you, and I'm not saying many of you, but maybe some of you, do nothing all semester long. And then when three days before finals, what do you do? You cram like crazy. Okay? Doing well in finals does not happen in a vacuum unless you're blessed with incredible memory. Uh, but normally, you need to be studying all semester long so that it is a culmination and you do so well on finals. Which is why I love tests because I'm a nerd and I love to study and read. It works out well. But here, when we're looking at Abraham, he's saying God can be trusted because I have seen it over and over and over and over and over again. And so the answer is yes, yes, God, you can be trusted. Now, let's flip to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to finish with this because I want you to see, as we've already just briefly touched on, as to why he was able to do this. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> Reads this way. By faith, in other words, trusting by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, the offering was made. It didn't happen, but it was made. 
He who received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. In other words, the ultimate thing that Abraham probably realized in all this is God can do anything. Even if I plunge this knife into my greatest treasure's heart, I know that I can step back and somehow God will raise him from the dead. God has made a promise and that's it. God will fulfill that promise. Right now, it doesn't make sense what God is asking me to do. I am giving up my greatest treasure in order to show that God, I trust you. And in the end, his trust pays off. Because he recognizes that God really, really, really can be trusted with everything. And that's what we want to learn today. Obedience is not just about action. It includes trust. It is really trusting that what God has for us, maybe even in the next life, is better than what we have here. I mean, Abraham himself, as, as the rest of these guys are here in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith, are looking to another city. They're not looking to another city in the land of Palestine. They are looking to an eternal city, and they see God. And they say, I see God in such a way that there is nothing that has as great a value as knowing God. And I can trust Him because God has given so much to me already that I know that He can be trusted. I mean, if I pay for my kids' college education, my hope is that they can understand that I truly love them so that I'm not going to have them go to three years of college and then say, Ha! You've got one more year to go, but I'm giving you no money. You are on your own. Ha ha ha! That doesn't make sense. God is not like that. This is what I have promised you. This is what will happen. And thus, God can be trusted. I don't know if you guys really know, uh, have ever heard of a missionary named William Borden. Borden of the Dairy kind of thing. I just want to read something to you. It's very interesting. It's a short blurb. It says, William Borden was a graduate of Yale University and Princeton Theological Seminary. Converted to Christianity under the ministry of D.L. Moody. He then decided to become a missionary to the Muslims of China, but died of spinal meningitis in Egypt during his training there at the age of 25. Okay? God says, boom, I am calling you to China. This guy gives up everything. He gives up riches. He just, all of this, he says, forget it, man, I am going. He goes to Egypt and he gets sick and he dies. But listen here, because in a sense it's not a happy ending, but there is a happy ending in this. After his death, Borden's Bible was found and given to his parents. In it, they found the one place where the word said, no reserve, and a date placing the note shortly after he had renounced his fortune. In other words, no reserves. I'm giving it all up. At a later point, he had written in no retreat, which was basically dated after he learned that he was ill and he was going to die. After he died, or before he died, shortly before that, he added this phrase, no regrets. See, what he's saying is, I've given up everything. For God. And here I am, I'm about to die, not getting to the place where I believe that I was called to, but you know what? I have no regrets. Why? Oops. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. The ultimate Isaac living sacrifice. 
you know, it wasn't that the father said, dude, you're just going and that's the end of it. Which is a part of it. Because Jesus would realize, yes, somebody needs to go. But he says, I will go. I will go willingly because I know that you can be trusted with your power to, in the end, raise me from the dead. Thus, Jesus is a type of Isaac and a lesson for us to know that we can trust God. Yes, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has a happy ending. But that is after he has gone through much sorrow and pain and agony and seeming defeat. So when we leave here today, hopefully as we look at Abraham and Isaac and Jesus, we can see that God really truly can be trusted. And that our faith is not just the fact that we do a whole bunch of actions that make it look like we are sacrificial, but gets to a place where deep in our hearts we can say, even on our deathbed, that all the things that I have gone through, I will say this, I have no regrets. Why? Because I have seen into the future. And I have seen a city where God reigns. And I know this God loves me because he gave his greatest treasure that I might live, that I might have life. Not just life now, not just life abundant, but just life forever. I know through Jesus that God really loves me and I know that he can be trusted. That is the redemptive arc of this story. It is a picture for us to see that God will provide. So as we kind of walk out of here, and I know that we've went through a lot and it's been a little sloppy at certain points, but I want you to really leave here, not with a sense of, I will obey more just because that's what the message is about, but rather, I will trust you more. We may have lost a job, or maybe in the process of losing a job. I am scared, but I will trust you. I have a parent or a child who is ill. I have an old college friend uh, reconnected through Facebook, and um, her daughter has really severe heart problems. But she says, I will trust him through this. Maybe it won't be a happy ending. I hope that it is, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be. But I will trust him because I know that he will provide and that God can be trusted. Is it an easy road? No. I think for three days, Abraham struggled internally. I can imagine for 33 and a half years, Jesus struggled. And as we saw in the garden, he struggled to a point where he sweat and bled, uh, uh, cried tears. It is not an easy road to follow God. But he can be trusted because he will provide. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you today distracted in many ways because so many things are going on in our lives, in our church, and in our country. So many things spiraling or spinning out of control for many of us. And it's hard for us to just simply say in the midst of our fears and our concerns, God, I'll trust you. It's hard. Because really, what you've done is revealed that we don't trust you like we should. Abraham was able to trust you because he saw you. And through Jesus, we have the opportunity to see you even more clearly.
we pray, open up our eyes to see so clearly as to who you are and what you've promised. May we leave here being more obedient, not because it's the thing to do, but because we want to scream in our hearts and out loud that we trust you. Your love, no one loves like you. Your care and your concern, no one cares the way you do or is concerned as you are. So Father, may we leave here like Abraham with hearts revealed that we trust you and so we will obey you because it is our desire and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.